Right, John's Gospel. We are, um, as Mary said, we're going to be going through uh, looking at this topic of following Jesus. Uh, another way of saying it's discipleship. And we're going to be using John's Gospel as a uh, framework to do that. Um, and last week, Dave, Dave, not last week, last time we met, you know what I mean, uh, he, uh, he spoke on uh, basically the calling of the first disciples. Now, that's not the very beginning of John's Gospel, but it is in the first chapter. But I'm going to go back and, and do the introduction to John's Gospel uh, after we've already had the first session. So it's all a bit topsy-turvy. We, we meet in different places, uh, different times, and in different orders. But hey, we'll go with that. Um, this is really going to be an introduction, uh, a real baseline. Let's see if this thing works. So, gospel. It's a funny word, isn't it? Um, word gospel. What, what, does, uh, what, does, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> Often in today's society, gospel is this type of music. Uh, these photos are coming out very strange. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah. Actually, yes, you're right, Elaine. Gospel isn't anything to do with music, um, although probably if you ask people in today's society, that's what they might think of. Um, so it's not that. <laughs> right. It's actually more to do with, as Len said, good news. In fact, it's not just even good news. It, it was more used by the Romans when they did a, a great victory and their emperor would come in, or the, the minions of the emperor would come in and they'd say, Good news. Uh, we are now victorious. You are now under our rule, under our um, uh, jurisdiction. And uh, peace has come, uh, but it comes really with a sword. Um, what, what Jesus did is a bit like what Bagsy does. Is he takes this picture, I love it, takes something that looks quite violent and quite oppressive, and he turns it into something that's actually... Peaceful. So instead of Caesar is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And that would have been quite a poignant thing to be saying, quite a, a dangerous thing to be saying in the Roman Empire. So we have a little background quiz, easy questions. First question, how many Gospels, so know what a Gospel is now, it's a great announcement, how many Gospels are there in the Bible? Four, hooray, you're right. Okay. A little bit more difficult. What are they called? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And final question. Out of those four, which one is the odd one out? John. John. So you're very good. Right. question is, um, why is John the odd one out? Well, what makes the other three the same is the other way of saying that. So Matthew, Mark and Luke often are called the synoptic gospels. And again, what I want to try and do is any time you meet a word that's a little bit religious or a bit specialist, we try and explain it so that we all know what we're talking about. So, synoptic, basically it's got two parts, syn and optic. Syn means, not as in S-I-N, but S-Y-N, means together, as in synergy and things like that. Optic means seen, as in the eye. So, Matthew, Mark, Luke and Matthew, Mark and Luke can be seen together because they're actually very similar. They have lots of the same stories in them, even some of the same words. It's thought that Mark's probably the oldest and the other two came from those. Um, there's some debate around that, but that's generally accepted. But John is a little bit different. 
So what are the differences? Well, first of all, there's no parables in John. Um, there's things that look like parables, but I'm very reliably told they're not parables. They're something else. They're stories. Um, probably written later than the other ones, because John would have probably seen the other Gospels, and the reason he wrote it differently is because he'd seen them and would have gone, well, there's no point in saying what they've said already. I'll say something slightly different, and we'll come on to why he might have had a different view. So they've got stories that the other Gospels don't mention. As we go through this year, we'll hopefully see the seven signs. These are things I'm just going to flag up now. I'm not going to explain them, but just, just really to put in their mind. They've got seven signs. Also, it has the I am sayings, the I am uh, the truth, the way and the life, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd. There's lots of I am sayings, which again, we'll come on to as we go through the series. Um, but possibly the most important thing uh, is that John often deals with uh, as well as explaining things that are happening, he often then explains things that are going on in sort of hidden or inner dimension, stuff that's going on under the surface. And uh, that's what hopefully we're going to draw out uh, over this year. So, who was John? Now, that's not John, that's a statue of somebody that people think nobody knows what he looked like. But John was one of Jesus' closest disciples. Jesus had a number of people who followed him. We hear about the 72 in one of the Gospels, and the other ones. He sends out 72 disciples. Uh, John was one of the 72. But also, he had 12 disciples, fairly commonly known of. Uh, They were the ones who were sort of more close to him. John was one of the 12. Of the 12, Jesus had three disciples that were more close to him. There's Peter, James and John. So obviously John was one of those three. And even out of those three, this gospel says that, that John is often called the beloved or the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, whether he, Jesus actually had favourites or not is another thing. In fact, Tom Russell's got a t-shirt that says, Jesus loves you but I'm his favourite. I think if anybody could probably wear that t-shirt and get away with it, it would be John. Um, if anyone's got a good case for it, he was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. And therefore, what he's got to say, his take on Jesus, is probably, I would argue, very worth listening to. Why do you write it? Well, he says so at the end of his gospel, or the end of his writing. He says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So, I think that's a good good reason for writing it, a good reason for us to be studying it, uh, that we might believe. The word believe there, when it's written a number of times, it's not just believe once, but it, it's actually believe and continue believing. So that's part of discipleship. It's, it's not just something you do, you become a Christian, that's it. It's something that you do, and then you just keep on doing it forever. Well, who was John writing to? Well, John was one of Jesus' original disciples. He lived about the same time. Obviously, Jesus was uh, crucified, he died and was resurrected, went up to heaven. Uh, And the first disciples that were left uh, then uh, basically spread out and started to take that good news, that gospel announcement with them. And in John's lifetime, it's likely really that he... It wouldn't have got... Well, it's quite far, obviously... Jerusalem's down here, that's where it all sort of started, in uh, Galilee there, uh, Antioch, and then Asia Minor, uh, Greece, 
and Italy. And so those sort of areas, those sort of regions, was roughly where the gospel spread to by the time uh, John was writing it. So, in those regions, there were two main groups of people. There were the Gentiles, or the Greeks. Uh, These people, the Greeks had great pride in their philosophy uh, and their ways of thinking and their culture. The other group of people were the Jews. Now, the Jews weren't just in Israel, in Jerusalem. The Jews had been, obviously, in this area for many, many years, and, and prior to that, they had spread out and had also had synagogues and places of worship and communities in that area. And often when the, the first disciples went somewhere, that's who the, they first targeted. They went to the synagogue and spoke to the Jews, but also then threw it open to everybody else. So the, but there's two groups of people, and they were quite different in the way that they thought and in how they, they dressed life. So, let's start looking at John chapter 1. <coughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's a little repetitive, isn't it? Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Right, stop there. It's not John who's writing it, but that's John the Baptist. And he's writing this part basically because some people in that church, or in the first hearers, were starting to get a little bit confused as to who John the Baptist was, and starting to say, well, maybe he was the Messiah. So, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. See, John, the writer, correcting any uh, misthoughts that John the Baptist might be the Messiah. So, John the Baptist was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everything, sorry, everyone, was coming into the world. Now, if you're anything like me, that all sounds great, but actually it's a little bit confusing, especially that first part. So... What I'm going to do is, hopefully, pick out a few words and phrases that repeat. First, very first three words, in the beginning. If you were Jewish and somebody wrote something that was purporting to be sort of scriptural or religious, and they started it with the words, in the beginning, what would come into your mind? What other thing that... Right, Genesis, exactly, Adam and Eve. The creation story. So John, I think he's been quite deliberate here, what he's doing is opening this account, he's saying, in the beginning. All the people, the Jewish readers who loved scripture, would have immediately said, oh right, he's talking about creation. Actually I think John is talking about new creation or recreation, but he's framing it in that type of language. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Also, the other words that get repeated quite a lot, as you can see, light, uh, is repeated many, many times in just those first few verses. In fact, the word light is a theme that runs through John's Gospel. And 
light is mentioned more time in John's Gospel than any of the other Gospels. The other thing that's not so, that doesn't come out quite so strongly, is the word life, but it does repeat there as well. So let's have a quick look at the Jews. Now John was picking out phrases and words in that first uh, opening paragraph or opening narrative that would have sparked off, would have uh, resonated with Jews. I've picked out uh, sort of pairs here. The first one is the bit that's in John and the one underneath it is a phrase that comes from somewhere else in Jewish literature. See the Proverbs or a book called Ben Sirach or Wisdom of Solomon but in those things, so the word was in the beginning. In those other books it says wisdom was in the beginning. The word was with God. Wisdom was with God. The word was co-created. Wisdom was co-creator. The word provides light. Wisdom provides light. Word as light contrasts to darkness. Wisdom is light contrasts to darkness. So actually, all these things that John is saying, the Jews would have said, hold on a minute, word? No, 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 no. I don't, you don't mean word, you mean wisdom. They had a word for wisdom in Greek. It was called Sophia. So why didn't John, if he's clearly trying to get a resonance between wisdom and word, or logos, why didn't he just use the word Sophia? There's a reason for that. Because the other group of people he was writing to, he wasn't just writing to the Jews, he was also writing to the Greeks. And the Greeks had a word called logos. Now the word logos does mean word, but it means so much more than just word. Um, as I said, Greeks love their philosophy, and for about 600 years, the Greeks have been batting around this idea, this concept of logos. And the term really just means uh, the sort of divine animating principle pervading the universe. So it's the reason for things, uh, the life force for things. Uh, and so John uses the word logos. Interestingly, two groups of philosophers uh, also had symbols for the word. So one group would use the word uh, logos, or the, the symbol for it would be fire. Now fire in those days didn't have electric lights, so fire was the ultimate source of light, or symbol for light, the ultimate illuminator. The other group of philosophers, the Stoics, they, they had a, a, a concept of logos. They said, no, it's actually like breath or wind. Uh, and breath, I guess in those days, and uh, it's true now, if you stop breathing, you don't live very long. So breath was a real symbol of life. And there is a, a picture down there of breath. But breath's really hard to draw, isn't it? It's really hard to see. So, the Greeks had this concept of logos as fire and light, or light and life. And the Jews had this concept of wisdom. So if we go back to that, we can see that what John is doing is he's talking to two groups of people. He's saying, you Jews, you've got this concept of wisdom, and it's all in here. You Greeks, you've got this concept of logos, this animating sort of life force in the universe. That's there too. I think what John is doing is genius. It's incredible. Rather than saying, you group of Jews, no, you've got it all wrong. 
you Gentiles know you've got it all wrong. What he does is he goes to their traditions, he goes to the way in which they hold, the things they hold dear, the things that they think. Uh, for the Greeks it would be their philosophy, this word logos, their light and breath and life. For the Jews it was their religion, their, their wisdom literature, uh, the concepts again of light and life. And he actually says, you're both right, but in part. And he points both of them in, later on, verse 14. He says, this word, this logos, has become flesh and has made our dwelling among us. So he's saying to the Jews, this concept of wisdom, if you want to see what real wisdom looks like, look at Jesus. Look at the word become flesh. He's saying to the Greeks, you want to know what this sort of animating, this source of, of uh, light and life in the universe is? Look at Jesus. So you've partly got it, but if you want to see it really revealed, look at Jesus. Right. I'm taking a bit of an analogy here. Sails and wind. Now, a sail is a great thing. Uh, You can use it to catch the wind and it can take you places. A sail is a little bit like, for the Jews, their religion. Or, for the Greeks, their philosophy. It was useful. Had that sort of that framework of religion or that framework of thought. And with it, you can catch something of what God is saying. Catch something of the light and life in the universe. And it's really important that we have sails. We've got them. Our own faith, our own expression of Christianity church is in effect a sail. Uh, we, we have our own shape and our own size of sail. sail. And you can see there's lots and lots of different ways of sail that you can make sails. Uh, they're not all the same. Now that doesn't mean that they're not important. They are. They're really important. But they're not the wind. The thing that we worship is the source, is the wind. The thing that we create in order to catch that and to learn about and for it to take us places is the sail. And we need to make sure that we get that the right way round. So our churches, our structures, even our theology, the way we think, they're all great things, but they're only structures, they're man-made. The purpose of those is so that we can catch the wind of God, catch the spirit and let God take us places. I think... One of the things as we're learning, as we're coming together again, obviously we're starting to think about our shape and our sail. And we need one, and this is, this is an example of it. Um, but this mustn't become the thing that we worship. This mustn't become the thing, that, the, the reason. We come together because it's useful, I hope, in us learning off each other, and we can look around and say... Actually, your sail's a bit different. The way you think is a little bit different to the way I think. Sometimes that might be a good thing. We can say, actually, I'm going to adjust the way I think, um, improve my own sail. Because I think the way you do that, you catch the wind better in that particular area of your life. And I know that I've probably got a bit of a hole in my sail over here. I do like this guy down the corner. I'm sorry the pictures aren't so great, but that guy there looks like he's just cobbled a sail together with bits of like, plastic bag and things like that. But hey, he's still going somewhere. If he didn't have a sail, he'd just be cast adrift. The other thing 
This is the final thing. Is about light and enlightenment. And I don't know uh, about you, but this, this verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus was the true light that gives light to everyone. So not just the Jews, not just the disciples, not just the Greeks, but everyone who was coming into the world. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get enlightenment. I have a moment where I just get it, or I just catch a glimpse of the goodness, the greatness of God. And for me, it's a little bit like, that's why I've got that picture there, lightning in the sky. It comes and it lights up, and you can suddenly see everything in its proper place. And then before you know it, it's gone again. And you're going, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can just remember, oh, and it fades. But that moment, it clarifies, it lights up the sky, and it makes such a difference. It gives you, you can catch your bearings, you know where you are in relationship to everything else. You can see everything else. Now, one of the things that I have found, uh, in fact, reading about it, many, many people over the centuries have found that that sense of enlightenment, that sense of seeing it, of that awe, that wonder, comes far more often the more often we spend trying to face the light, putting ourselves in front of the light. And we've got, uh, as Mary said, this, uh, this opportunity as a, as a church, as a group of people over the next few days uh, to, to do this 2020 material. And it is fantastic. I've read through it. I haven't done it, but I've, I've read through it. And it's exactly the type of thing that starts to focus uh, our eyes on Jesus. And it allows more and more of these opportunities to see the lightning, to see it light up. And as a result of that, to change our lives. So I'm going to finish there. That's the introduction to John. Uh, But actually it carries on. It carries on because hopefully as a church, as a group of people, we're going to go from here and we're going to start uh, using that material. Like I said... The copies are there. If you don't have the money with you today, you can still take one, but pay us another time. Or it's available via the website. Um, okay, that'd be good. So I would just really encourage us. So the idea of 2020 is 20 minutes for 20 days. Sorry. It's okay. That's showing the web page. Okay. Take it through a bit. So this is the web page. It changes every now and then, but this is what it looks like at the moment. Uh, the link is on that bit of paper you've got in your hand, or you're given at the beginning at the bottom. And so if you go onto the website and you go to resources and click on 2020, uh, it will. You'll get basically a, a virtual book, which hopefully come here. We are. So it's the same as the printed version, but it's on a computer. Um, now some people that would be fine other people, probably like me actually although I like spending time in front of the computer uh, in order to sort of clear my mind and focus I like to have a printed copy and go in a quieter place and do that so it really just depends on, on how you want to do it you can even print it off from here as a page at a time if you want to um, but that's that
Let me pray as we finish. Lord God, I thank you, Jesus, that you are the light that's come into the world. Lord, I thank you that uh, we have lots and lots of different thoughts and ideas about what's right and what's wrong, and what's, what's good and how you are. And Lord, those things are really useful uh, in revealing and in following you. But Lord, we pray that we never make those an idol. We never worship those things, those structures, uh, those thoughts, more than we worship you. Lord, we pray that uh, as a church, as we start to refocus, as we come together, as we use this material, Lord, that we would start increasingly more to fix our eyes on you. Lord, help us to spot the areas where our sails uh, have got a bit tatty, a bit holy, uh, not in a good way, uh, and might need a bit of repair. Lord, as we come together in the Lent groups, as we start to see uh, how the other churches across Thornbury, how their traditions uh, reveal you and how their sails help them to catch you, Lord, I pray that we would come to that with humility, not with the attitude that, oh, we've got it right and they're all wrong, but actually that Let's learn something from, from their traditions. How do they catch the wind? How do they see you? How does, how does uh, the way in which they understand uh, catch the wind of God in ways that we don't do that very well? Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that are open to learning and that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would blow through us as a group. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. There will be tea and coffee in there with the kids, uh, or where the kids are. And next week, just to remind you, it's at Turnbury's uh, for the soup of nothingness. And where are the sign-up sign sheets? I think are they there? Just so you can let us know if you're coming for numbers, that'd be really handy. Also, it's a great event just to bring people along to. So, um, yeah, bring some friends along. Big venue, so fit us all in. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week.